Hello, this is Joe and TJ, and we are the Schoolhouse 302, and we want to welcome you back to Focus Ed for Season 4. We are truly excited. Focus Ed is a collaborative project with the University of Delaware, the Delaware Department of Education, and the two of us, Joe and TJ, at the Schoolhouse 302. TJ, tell our audience a bit more about Focus Ed. Absolutely. Focus Ed is a podcast that gets recorded with a live audience. We do 14 episodes every season. We're in season four, but you can find season one, two, and three on our site at theschoolhouse302.com. It's a professional development experience for anyone who wants to attend, and then we blast it out from our site. We interview great leaders, authors of popular books, and experts in teaching, learning, and leading so that you can lead better and grow faster in your school or district. Thank you for listening to Focus Ed, and we hope you'll join us live. Hello, everyone. Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us. And this episode, we have David Guerin. David, thank you for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Our focus today is on how leaders can build future-driven schools so that students can thrive in this unpredictable world that we live in. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about David? Thank you, Joe. David Guerin is serving in his first year as superintendent of schools for the Fair Play R2 School District. Previously, he was principal at Bolivar High School for 14 wonderful years. Under his leadership, BHS developed many innovative programs, and the school was honored as a National Blue Ribbon School and Missouri Gold Star School. Dr. Guerin is an author of Future Driven, Will Your Students Thrive in an Unpredictable World, which we're going to talk about today. He's passionate about developing leadership, school culture, and authentic learning experiences. Most of all, he's devoted to creating better future stories for all students. In 2017, Dr. Guerin was named Digital Principal of the Year by National Association of Secondary School Principals. He has shared his keynotes and workshops from China and get this, to the Bahamas and across the rest of the United States. David, we're going to jump right into this conversation. We can't wait to get started here. When you say we need to become more future-driven, like future-driven schools, future-driven leaders, what do you mean by that? Let's start there and then dig in. Well, I think sometimes we have kind of a perspective in education that is we're going to do the things that we've done in the past only a little bit better this year. So we're polishing the past, as I would call it. Uh, and I don't know that that's always helpful because we're not preparing kids for the world that we grew up in. We're preparing them for the world that they're going to live in, that they're going to be expected to thrive in. So it's really a perspective. It doesn't mean that everything we've done in the past is not helpful to our students and their futures. Clearly, that's not the case at all. Many things serve them well, but there are a lot of areas where perhaps we're continuing to do things or think of education in ways that doesn't meet students maybe where they are based on their experience in a modern world, or we're not really considering what the skills and abilities and things that are going to be demanded of them in the future. You know, we hear that all the time. You know, we're preparing students for jobs that don't even exist yet. So true that that's the case. We're preparing them to be neighbors, 
family members, friends, all these other things as well that is in a world that's very different than the one that I grew up in, that's for sure. So how can we have that future-driven perspective and make our decisions as educators, education leaders with the future in mind? I think that's really the basis of the book. David, let's break that down a little more because I think what happens, and I could be totally wrong on this, but you know, we have national standards, state standards, programs of study, and that starts to trickle into our districts and schools. We then build curriculums, we have curriculum maps. And I see almost like that funnel increasingly like hamstringing us, almost like as we go through. It confines us. And sometimes, and I hear this argument all the time, how do we begin to make inroads to have this level of change, knowing that we still have to teach the standards, knowing we still have scope and sequence? What are some inroads, some wins that we can have that can really make us future driven? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a challenge. I think that's a lot of times what we hear, you know, hey, I would love to, you know, maybe be more innovative, or I would love to do things that I feel like are more valuable to my students and maybe what they're going to face in the future. But I'm held to these standards. I have all these expectations. And, you know, the things that are in the standards, they're not bad things. Like these are good things. Many of them are important. I think some of them are definitely negotiable. Fortunately, they're not, you know, in many ways, because we're going to have to be tested and held accountable to those things as well. But I think it's even though we have to serve that particular aspect of what we're doing in education, I don't think it has to be an obsession. I don't think it has to be something that is the only focus. In fact, I think if we're doing a great job with future-driven kinds of things, it can actually help us to be more successful, make learning more sticky, make it more relevant to students, and they can still be successful on many of those things with the depth of learning that can happen and maybe a more authentic, you know, project-based, you know, inquiry-based kind of a learning environment. And many schools are doing this. We're trying to make progress on that here, you know, baby steps. I'm in a new role this year. We had done that in my previous spot, and we weren't radically innovative. But we certainly were trying to push the envelope towards making sure that kids were getting experiences, not just lessons, but experiences that were going to be transferable. They were going to transfer into real world kinds of situations. And we couldn't ignore the standards either. I mean, we were held to those. So that was something that we continued to you know, consider and think about that lens as well. So policy-wise, though, I do think that, you know, that conversation needs to happen for folks that are in positions to have influence, and states are different. I mean, there are states that are way more high-stakes accountability than Missouri. Missouri has done a great job of trying to look at just a growth model so that we're looking at how students make progress. It's not a, you know, high-stakes your school's graded. It's very, like, uh, punishment-driven almost. There's other states that I think are more innovative than Missouri, too with innovation and, you know, really elevating practices. Uh, Kansas is one that they've been very good about elevating practices that are innovative and really celebrating those. So I try to keep track of a little bit of that. But like you said, that is a big, anytime I start talking about this, everybody always asks me about the standards. Yeah, and there's no doubt that's going to come up because people are afraid to deviate from their scope and sequence documents anymore. And we need to figure that part out so that people have the autonomy that they need to do what's best for kids, but at the same time, cover the material that the kids need to know. 
it is a really hard balance. I wonder if we could kind of double click on it though, David, and talk about what you consider to be irresistible learning, learning that's exciting. We have teachers and leaders on the call and tons who are going to listen to this. If you're leading a school or a classroom, how do you do that? What are the things that are going to make learning irresistible? You talk about that in the book. I wonder if you could expand on that for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of times the experience that our students have is they're just getting through school. When I talk to students, it is, I just want to get through high school so I can go to college. And you're really high achievers. They're thinking about, I want to do really well in high school so I can get scholarship money. Uh, but most of them, it's just, I want to get through good enough that I can go on to college if I'm going to go to college. Or I want to get through just well enough that I can get into the workforce. They're really just trying to get through school. And irresistible learning is helping them to look at, I want to get the most from school that I can and making that shift. So we have to empower them, if that's going to happen, to be more active participants in their learning experience and not feel like school is just being done to them. So there are things that teachers, as we're thinking about curriculum and the types of things that we are doing in the classroom, that can help them, I believe, to be more active participants in that process, clearly. You know, things we're doing projects, students are having choice about how they demonstrate their learning. I think it's great when we get kids out of the classroom into the community, get the community into the classroom. We've tried to get kids into workplace type of experiences for secondary learners so that they can actually see how the things that they're learning can translate into the workplace. You know, those are a few things. It's clearly creativity is huge. We're in a different economy now than the one that, you know, we think about industrial age, more of an information age now. My wife, I can use her as an example, but she's part of the gig economy. Because of a health issue, wasn't able to teach anymore. She's an educator, but with creativity, perseverance, a dream, she's built a freelance writing business from home. You know, she doesn't go into a job. She works with clients from all over the world. It's exciting work for her. She loves it. But the creativity and the willingness to take the risks and the chances, to me, that entrepreneurial mindset is something we should really be encouraging in school now because I think there's just so many opportunities for kids. They get so excited about that. The people that they see that are like in jobs that excite them, it's almost always like an entrepreneurial mindset. So to me, that is learning that is irresistible. When we can get kids invested in getting the most from their education and not just getting through their schooling experience. David, I think that's a huge point. The entrepreneurial spirit that lives in students. I would associate that also with like creativity, the desire to build, you know, the desire, which you even said about that active engagement. You just spoke about your wife a little bit, and I certainly don't want to steer off the book because I think that last question really ties into the digital matters uh, part. But if you wouldn't mind, can you just spend a couple minutes? How was your transition to the superintendency? I mean, a lot of this audience are young leaders, you know, in their administrative track. They've been doing tons of different things in our schools for years, but -hmm. now they find themselves leading a school and I'm sure they could, you know, really relate to your story. First of all, I had 14 amazing years in Bolivar, and that was my second administrative position. I started in a small rural school district after teaching for nine years in the classroom, coaching as well. This has been a great transition for me. Being the visionary that I am and having the opportunity to be superintendent has really given me the opportunity to feel like I can really push forward with the vision in a way that maybe I haven't 
fully been able to before. So that is super exciting to me. I'm in a very small rural school district. So I was in a kind of a middle-sized high school, middle-sized school district in Missouri. So I didn't have to move. I'm just 10 miles down the road. Fair Place Small has a good tradition. Today we were pumped. I had nothing to do with this. But I received a study from the St. Louis University that tracked the top 20 schools in Missouri for growth in math and ELA. And Fair Play was number one, the elementary school in math, and number three in ELA for growth. Our scores aren't the highest. We are very high poverty. But this school district's doing a really good job with growing students and loving kids. And so I'm excited to be a part of it. And I feel like we're going to do some great things here, too. And people are just really responding well. So I would definitely encourage, like, uh, I never really saw myself necessarily as, well, I didn't see myself as a principal. I thought I would teach and coach. And then I did the principal thing and thought, well, I'll finish my career probably as a principal, but the opportunity and just the way life happens, and it really has been good. So, and we're small enough here, I can still be in classes and see kids. And I did the gritty for the sixth graders in their class uh, yesterday, and now I'm a rock star. They thought that was just amazing. So yeah, we're having a good time. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's a great transition. And it's also a note to leaders on the call that, you know, just wanting to see your vision come into fruition in moving up through the ladder. That's a good thing if you stay focused on kids, which we can tell that you do. It's also a nice segue, I think, into some other leadership questions that we like to ask on Focus Ed that our listeners get a ton from, if you don't mind. I want to start with your favorite resources for teaching, learning, and leadership. What are your go-tos, either people, books, articles? Can you mention a few for the people on the call? And we're going to watch their heads tilt down as their pencils start to scribble on the paper they have in front of them. Well, you know, Twitter was a huge thing for me of getting connected. That's kind of how just really connecting beyond my my school and even my state. That was huge. And the National Association of Secondary Principals was great to me. I was able to get involved with them. My state association for principals, I encourage you to in leadership to connect with those state and national organizations. They do a lot of great advocacy work. Plus just the connections you make are just huge. If you get involved and you're active, you know, if you're more of a passive member, then you don't get nearly as much out of it. But, you know, I read a lot. I'd say I read as much outside of education as I do inside. I think both are important, but I just think constantly, you know, pouring that leadership to filling up that tank and learning and continuing to just constantly pursue growth. You know, I don't want to be the same today as I was five years ago in my thinking and my philosophy. I want to continue to push that and move forward with that. So I've been fortunate to have just some good mentors here locally too, and really across the country, just friends and people who have, I've watched their work and seen the things that they've done and had the opportunity to visit some schools too that are very, very innovative. And that's been a great experience as well. Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia is one that's huge. And you know, that's great stuff. And I know kind of different sides of the spectrum, but we took some high school teachers to Ron Clark Academy one time, you know, just to see that energy, excitement, and that enthusiasm. You wouldn't think high school teachers would be going to elementary school, but I had teachers that that changed their trajectory. They were so just re-energized by that. So those experiences are huge. But yeah, those are a few things that just popped to mind on that question. David, if you were in mind, you had mentioned about a lot of non-education books, and we do hear that. I think that resonates with TJ and I quite a bit. 
I fell in love very early on with a lot of non-educated, especially John Maxwell, when I was first starting becoming an administrator back in the late 90s, Maxwell was starting to gain traction. I was able to even see him live in Philadelphia and took a handful of teachers, very similar to what you described. Are there some go-to books, resources, non-education that you would recommend? Yeah, you just, by seeing John Maxwell, you reminded me, first of all, I'm a big John Maxwell fan. Two, as far as an educator, this just came to mind that I return to over and over again. Todd Whitaker, he's a Missouri guy. Yesterday, I was looking back at what great teachers do differently. It's such a simple ideas, but not necessarily simple to implement. It's kind of those fundamentals that great teachers have. Really enjoy that. But some of the authors, let's see, Maxwell's huge. I have really enjoyed The Power of Moments is a book that I really like by Dan Heath and Chip Heath. I think every educator should read that book. Clearly, Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. Every educator should read that book. And I read Simon Sinek's stuff quite a bit. Um, Adam Grant, read his stuff quite a bit. Really, just anything that I think can add value to leadership or understanding people better, because leadership is understanding people and being able to relate to people in a way that is more effective. Those are just a few that pop into my mind. I've got my books over here. I guess I could look and see if there's anything else. Oh, The Culture Code was another one that was highly influential too, Daniel Coyle. If you haven't read that, every administrator should read The Culture Code. Those are all great. I'm writing as fast as I can to get those authors down. And we agree with a lot of those authors and those titles for educators. It makes me wonder though, is there a book that you wish someone would write? for educators or just in our field about a topic that you think, man, we really need to explore this more. We need people to learn more about this. Wow, that's a good question. Yeah, a book that needs to be written. I'm in a very small rural school right now. I guess something that I think is overlooked often is just rural education in America. There are so many rural schools that are doing good work, but they're dealing with challenges that are probably similar in many ways to urban environments. I mean, we have incredible poverty in our district. I mean, I think often that is overlooked. Like, I don't think much attention is given to the kind of struggle that some of our students and families have. And, you know, the serving in the rural environment, I think is something that could be a book that would be encouraging to rural educators, for sure. Help them feel validated in the work that they're doing. And the teacher shortages that we're seeing are just incredible right now. But we definitely need to be doing and writing in ways and lifting up the field to uh, encourage young people to go into education, creating conditions where folks want to be educators, which is a concern as well. I also try to read whatever I can that are books that are similar to uh, some of the ideas that I shared. You know, in fact, much of my inspiration was people like George Kuros and A.J. Giuliani, to name a couple, who have done a lot of work on just schools that are creating learning environments that are very empowered, authentic, innovative, to name a few. Thank you, Dave. Just as we wrap up here I think we all read. We want to get better. We focus on our students every day. Those are things that drive us, get us out of bed in the morning. As a new superintendent, but also as an educator, you know, what do you see in the next couple of years in your new role? Think about your strategic plan. What would you like to see happen in your schools, in your district? Well, there are several things. Again, being a rural school, I think something that we can do that kind of helps to energize our community 
while also giving kids more authentic learning experiences is really place-based learning. Getting our kids out into our community, we have a lot of outdoor opportunities, a lot of science opportunities, a lot of service opportunities. Our town has plenty of opportunities that we could be contributing to help with addressing different problems or different needs that there are here in our community. So that's one thing that I'm really looking to get our focus on. How can we be a community-based school, one that really gives back and pours into and that our kids feel that connection to the community and feel pride in their community. I think that that is something we want them to feel like you can go anywhere. You can choose to stay here and be very successful, or you can go anywhere from the Fair Play School District. But another one that's big for me right now is I just see so much difficulty with how people, not just our students, but people in our world are having trouble relating to each other in productive ways. So you can call it social and emotional learning. You can call it people skills. But I would like to have some intentional practices to really work on developing how we are able to understand people with different ideas than maybe we have or that they being able to connect with people through differences. I think is really, really important. And so uh, that's something that I hope we can do by having some more intentional character, you know, relational, social kinds of practices that we embed into our school system. Here's the thing. We have the scope and sequence on all these academic standards, but we do not have the scope and sequence on the non-cognitive factors that are so important to success. And why not? Why shouldn't we know that those things are probably just as, if not more, instrumental to a kid's long-term success and, quite honestly, to the success of our democracy and our country, and yet we're focused on what you know, but not necessarily how you're able to interact and relate to other people in a way that is positive and productive. So that's the huge passion area for me right now. And it's definitely a mic drop and a great place to end the conversation here about future-driven schools, bringing it back to the beginning, social and emotional learning and teaching people the ways of the world and how they can interact in their community to be productive, Mm -hmm. not just to know the standards that we teach them for a test. David, this has been great. I can tell the folks on the call have gotten a ton from it. All of our listeners will as well. Is there anything else that you would like to add as we wrap up? It's just been great to visit, share a few things, you know, with you. When I wrote Future Driven, it was 2017 is when it came out. You know, my subtitle was, will your students thrive in an unpredictable world? Little did I know just how unpredictable the world was going to be. And so I think that the message of Future Driven is even more relevant today than it was then. If I was going to revise it, I think I would put even more. I did have a chapter and, and some other things connect on relationships and connecting too, but I think I would put even more on that piece that we just kind of finished up with of how we are helping students be able to relate to each other and to their world in those positive, productive ways. It's been great to be with you. Great questions, very thought-provoking, and I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. And this has been fantastic. You heard it here on Focus Ed, everybody. David Guerin, everyone, have it a virtual round of applause for David and everything he shared with us tonight. This podcast was brought to you by the Delaware Academy for School Leadership, the Delaware Department of Education, and the Schoolhouse 302. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, folks, stay focused.
Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.